Classic Breakfast with Mike Mills. Good morning and welcome to a special tribute edition of the Classic Breakfast. Happy birthday, Ludwig von Beethoven. Born today, 250 years ago. Thank you. 
starts so big and ends so quietly. Music by Beethoven here at Classic 1027 to kick off our special birthday tribute to him. Uh, the Vienna Philharmonic was conducted by Claudio Bardo as they gave us the mighty Coriolan Overture by Beethoven, who was born in Bonn around the 16th of December 1770. Now, we don't know when he was actually born because his birth certificate has never been found. It was either lost or deliberately destroyed in later years. Now, there's a strong theory about that. It was possibly destroyed by his own father, who wanted the boy to appear younger than he actually was for showbiz purposes when his father was trying to earn money from the young prodigy's performances. So it's quite possible that he destroyed the uh, uh, that birth certificate. But we do know officially and for sure that Ludwig van Beethoven's baptism was entered in the official registry on the 17th of December in 1770. And it was customary in those days for a child to be baptized within 24 hours of birth. So that is why most Beethoven authorities accept that he was born on the 16th of December because he was re- he was baptized and that baptism was officially registered on the 17th in other words within 24 hours of course over the course of the next 57 years this boy would change the course of music he would push every boundary so that musicians would complain that his music was far too difficult to play and vocalists and choirs would complain that their notes were far too difficult to sing There's also a scene in a Simon and Garfunkel TV special screened around the time of the release of their Bridge Over Troubled Water album in which Paul Simon recalls that Beethoven had railed against the classical rule of harmony that you were not allowed to use parallel fifths in music. Now, Beethoven not only used parallel fifths in some uh, compositions, but he thoroughly trashed the theory in a notebook in which a harmony exercise is worked out by him 17 times to show that the theory was wrong. And then Beethoven added the words, du essel, meaning you ass, as a comment on the authority who had made the rule in the first place. (laughs) And he went on to trash all the musical rules when it suited him. Possibly because of the abuse he suffered at the hands of his alcoholic father, he hated authorities. Although he admired and respected Mozart and Haydn, he was very much his own man. And he was the first composer to not only wish to compose for eternity, but also for art. He saw himself very much as an artist. In fact, after improvising a piece for Mozart at their only meeting, Wolfgang is reported to have told friends in the next room, watch out for that boy, someday he'll give the world something to think about. And of course, Wolfi would have known. And that other great master, Josef Haydn, gave Ludwig a few rather unsatisfactory lessons, essentially because Beethoven had rather crude manners, and he was already disregarding the normal rules of harmony, which Haydn was trying to teach him. That's because he was on his own path of creativity. But Haydn was magnanimous enough to say that Beethoven had the impression, or rather made the impression, of a man who has several heads, several hearts, and several souls.
Noteworthy music. Classic 1027. by Beethoven, again showing just the contrast that the man was capable of. That's a short little triumphal march from the worked arpeggio uh, with the BBC Symphony Orchestra conducted by Andrew Davis. And before that, Gidden Kremer and Marta Argerich, two brilliant individual players, giving us the second movement from Beethoven's beautiful violin sonata in F major, which was subtitled Spring. Um, so, just gives you an idea of the contrast. Much more Beethoven, uh, both information and music to come uh, during the course of the Classic Breakfast this morning. It's Classic 1027 on Beethoven's birthday. Of course, he was remarkable in so many ways, and one has to consider um, the fact that although he started out in the classical era, he soon forged his own path, focusing on what he called his art, and he wanted to compose for eternity. And he was fortunate in many ways in having some Sufficient success in publishing his works and having some generous benefactors, even in tough economic times, not to have to worry quite as much as Mozart did about having an income. Although I must point out, Beethoven still had times in his career when he seriously was cash-strapped. You see, Mozart was a true freelancer, composing furiously, either for his subscription concerts in Vienna or for commissions. So he would compose works within days or weeks and sometimes even overnight. And his manuscripts are mostly free from revisions. But Beethoven was a slow worker, taking months and even years to complete some of his works. 
His sketchbooks show his constant revisions. He was always refining and polishing and rewriting as he wrestled with getting his ideas out of his head and onto paper. So, against Haydn's 104 symphonies and Mozart's 31, Beethoven wrote only nine. Where Mozart composed some 20 operas, Beethoven wrote only one, and he wrestled hugely with it, even having four attempts at the overture alone. And against Mozart's 27 solo piano concertos, Beethoven wrote only five. But it's what he did with them that was astonishing. And he took the conventional forms of the time and he turned them on their heads, like the piano sonata. His 14th, for example, breaks with convention, and the first movement, instead of being fast and upbeat, as was the norm, it's gentle and slow and breathtakingly beautiful.
Classic Breakfast with Mike Mills.
music by Beethoven, the birthday boy today, 250 years old. Uh, that's the hallelujah from his oratorio, Christ on the Mount of Olives. It's an awesome work uh, with the uh, Robert Shaw conducting the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra and Chorus. Uh, now, of course, Beethoven, up to about halfway through his life, was going great guns. Um, we know that. But in 1801, we have the first written evidence of the terrible affliction that was descending upon him. Such a cruel and ironic one for a musician and a composer. He was going deaf. He suffered from periods of ill health throughout his life with loads of headaches and lots of stomach problems. Of course, water and sewerage systems were terrible. There were no antibiotics yet. And medical men were pretty much at a loss to treat anything serious. In a letter written to a doctor who was a close friend in 1801, he writes, That jealous demon, my wretched health, has put a nasty spoke in my wheel, and it amounts to this, that for the last three years, and bear in mind this was written in 1801, so three years earlier would have been 1798, my hearing has become weaker and weaker. My ears continue to hum and buzz day and night. I must confess that I lead a miserable life. For almost two years, I have ceased to attend any social functions simply because I find it impossible to say to people, I am deaf. If I had any other profession, I might be able to cope with my infirmity, but in my profession, it is a terrible handicap. I can hear sounds, but I cannot make out the words of the spoken voice. But if anyone shouts, I cannot bear it. Heaven alone knows what is to become of me. And he then begs the recipient of the letter not to tell anyone. And the treatment he was getting from the quack doctors... For his deafness, one prescribed hot baths, another cold baths, and a third poured almond oil into his ears, which made everything worse. Another soaked the bark of a poisonous plant in water, then strapped it onto Beethoven's arms and told him to let the bark dry. As it did so, it shrank and became, of course being poisonous, it caused the skin to blister. And the doctor then lanced those blisters. For deafness? What an imbecile. Well, naturally, this caused the maestro yet more pain, so much so that he couldn't play the piano. So he gave up the so-called treatment, and he also gave up that doctor along with it. There are some theories as to why he went deaf, and those I'll explore towards the end of today's show. But what a terrible affliction to befall him. And yet, in the end, despite the fact that he was pretty much totally deaf by 1817, he had perfect so he could accurately hear any note in his head without the need for external sound. So the deafness didn't hamper his ability to compose, and some of his greatest works were created when he was deaf, like his Missa Solemnis, his late piano sonatas and piano string quartets, and of course, his awesome Symphony Number no. 9. He continued, though, to conduct with wildly flailing arms, and musicians learned not to watch him, but instead to take their time from the first violinist. 
And of course, it should also be remembered that for much of his time in Vienna, Austria and France, during and after the revolution and under Napoleon, were at war. So when Vienna was under siege, not only were the living conditions terrible, with uh, food shortages and hyperinflation, but the shelling and the bombing and the rifle fire would not have helped him either. In fact, he would often try to protect what was left of his hearing by covering his head with pillows down in a basement. This was a time when he became so depressed that his creative output dwindled to almost nothing and he contemplated suicide. It was really only his dedication to his art that sustained him.
is a pretty piece, isn't it? Uh, it's thought that maybe uh, it was uh, part of uh, a bigger work, a concerto perhaps. Um, but it is for piano, concertant, flute and bassoon, as well as orchestra. The uh, music, of course, by Beethoven. It's his Romance Cantabile in E minor. I love it. And uh, Patrick and Pascal Galois were the flautist and uh, bassoonist, respectively. The Philharmonia Orchestra was conducted by Myun Hun Chung. Bringing us to, well, it's 20 past seven, but uh, a little bit late for the children's classic this morning. And I put out a request uh, for people uh, who are real children <laughs> to um, to tell me a piece by Beethoven they'd like to hear. So my first email was from Marley Hreling, who says, short and sweet, hi, I, my name is Marley and I'm in grade eight at Hurskul Randberg. I play the cello and the piano. I like Beethoven's Fifth Symphony in C minor, the first movement. I like it because it's one of those pieces that everyone knows because it's used in movies. Even people who don't listen to classical music know about the song that goes, da-da-da-da. Thank you. <laughs> Short to the point. Marley, I'm not going to play that particular piece today. I know it's his birthday, but I'm going to play it next Tuesday. And I have a very good reason for playing it next Tuesday. So please be listening next Tuesday um, to just after 7 o'clock. I'll, I'll, I'll be playing that piece, I think, uh, otherwise just after 8 o'clock. But you're on holiday now, so it doesn't matter. Then um, got um, uh, another email to breakfast at classic1027.co.za from Michael Savasavi which is an unusual surname, but never mind. I am an 11-year-old student at St. David's Marist Inanda. I've been taking piano lessons at school and I love Fur Elise by Beethoven. I chose this piece because it's one of my favorites by Beethoven and because I love playing the piano and I love music. My grandmother, Lorise, also played piano and Fur Elise is her favorite number. Could you please play this on Beethoven's birthday? Now, I suspect, Michael, that your grandmother has an influence here because she's a regular listener to this radio station. But never mind, I'll let you get away with it. Okay. I'm going to play you two versions of Fur Elise, which is one of Beethoven's most popular compositions. The first is the way he pretty much wrote it, and it's played here by Wessel van Veik.
popular and famous for Elise here at Classic 1027. I'm not going to get into the story of that because it's been told on the station often enough, uh, but that was for Michael Sava Savi, uh, who requested it. Now, I want to play you a different version because you must remember that Beethoven was a great improviser just like the jazz guys do today, and uh, lots of musicians do. So um, it's certainly not unusual for someone to take an original work and then play with it and make it their own. Um, because Beethoven himself did this, and he was a brilliant improviser. Now, Peter McKnight sent me an email from Strand saying, I know I'm not 17 years old or younger, but I thought I'd share this with you. Beethoven's Fair Release was the very first full piano piece that I learned to play. I remember practicing this piece many times at home, so much so that my parents were getting tired of me playing it. Needless to say, I can still play the whole piece to this very day by memory, amongst other pieces of classical music. <laughs> Thank you, Peter, for sharing that. So, you take Fur Elise, fine. I think even Peter would like what the piano guys do with this. This is the Fur Elise Jam. Yeah, you see, you can have fun with music, and you're allowed to, you know, it's an art form. You're allowed to take it, shake it, and rattle and roll it, if you like. The Piano Guys with the Fur Elise Jam. And uh, I know some people are, the traditionalists are not going to necessarily enjoy that. I think it's fantastic, because Beethoven might have done exactly the same kind of thing himself. So, it's Beethoven's birthday today. Uh, here are some of the salient facts. He was baptized on the 17th of December, 1770. We know that for sure because it's in the official register. And children were baptized within 24 hours of their birth at that time. So that's why most Beethoven authorities believe he was born on the 
16th of December. Um, he had a rough upbringing with an unhappy, unsmiling mother who was the only one to show him any affection, as both his father and his grandmother were alcoholics. His father drove him hard to develop his natural musical talent because his own musical career had faded. Physically, Ludwig was not particularly attractive. As a child, his schoolmates nicknamed him the Spaniard because of his dark skin and his swarthy appearance. As an adult, he was short, around five foot four inches. He was thick-set and broad-shouldered with a massive head, a, a wild, unruly, thick crop of hair and protruding teeth. He had no social graces. He would spit whenever the notion took him. He had a notorious temper, and he was often sullen and mistrustful of others, although he could also be charming and good company. Landlords found him to be a terrible tenant. He once knocked windows out of walls because he thought he could get a view. He didn't ask permission. And clumsy footsteps and arguments with his domestics would disturb his neighbours. He lived in 33 residences in 35 years, in increasing squalor because he treated his servants abominably. In fact, a visitor to his apartment in 1809 gave this report in a letter. Picture yourself in the darkest, most disorderly place imaginable. Blotches of moisture covered the ceiling. An oldish grand piano on which the dust disputed the place with various pieces of manuscript music. Under the piano, I do not exaggerate, an unemptied chamber pot. A quantity of pens encrusted with ink. The chairs covered with plates bearing the remains of last night's supper and with wearing apparel. Hmm. Later, Beethoven's behavior became so unpredictable that restaurants would seat him at back tables so that he wouldn't disturb other diners. And he was once arrested because he was mistaken for a tramp. Such was his disheveled appearance. In his later years, he became increasingly clumsy and he walked with a curious gait. And he kept falling in love with women who were unsuitable or unattainable, so his romantic life was hopeless. And he had a mass of problems, legal and otherwise, in dealing with the custody of a nephew named Carl. And of course, as he got older, the list of health problems and his terrible deafness got worse, so all those habits also worsened. But musically, at the time, and indeed for a long while after, he took whatever ideas and rules that Mozart and Bach and Haydn had left him, he tore up some, he reworked others in previously unimaginable ways, and painstakingly forged his own path of originality that proved so groundbreaking and boundary-smashing that it was damn near impossible for anyone to follow in his footsteps. And while much of the music is huge and bold and complex, stretching musicians' abilities to the limit, other pieces are a sheer tuneful delight.
It's from the Symphony Number no. 8 by Beethoven. It's the second movement, Allegretto Scherzando. And uh, I mentioned earlier that Beethoven worked relatively slowly compared to Haydn and Mozart. Uh, that's partly because he was composing for eternity and for his art. Mozart was composing for this coming Friday. <laughs> but there would be a gap of 12 years between that symphony, the Symphony Number no. 8, and his colossal Symphony Number no. 9. The Berlin Staatskapelle were conducted by Daniel Barenboim. The Classic Breakfast with Mike Mills. Paying tribute to uh, Beethoven's 250th birthday uh, today. Of course, when Beethoven first arrived in Vienna, he attracted attention as a pianist. Now, having been literally knocked around by his alcoholic father and dragged weeping from his bed in the middle of the night to play and practice in front of his father's drunk friends and being beaten for playing any wrong notes, somehow he was undeterred by this horrendous treatment. So when he arrived in Vienna, he would perform with brilliance. His hands held high, he would smash the keyboard, he'd break strings. And over the years, he pleaded with piano manufacturers to make him a better instrument because the early pianos to him sounded like a harp. So over the course of his life, pianos became sturdier. The iron frame was introduced, the keyboard was extended, and he made full use of that. And as I mentioned, um, or alluded to just before the news, although there were many fine pianists around in Vienna in his time, Beethoven could play all of them under the table with ease.
Classic 1027 with music by Beethoven. And that, of course, was the third movement, the Rondo Vivace from his piano concerto number four in G major. Leif Over Ansnes, one of the world's best, playing with the uh, Mahler Chamber Orchestra. And if you're looking for a recording of the five piano concertos plus the choral fantasy, uh, Leif Over Ansnes has a set called The Beethoven Journey. And that is well worth getting your hands on because it's just one of the best recordings out. By the way, Beethoven played that in a fabulous concert, which I'm going to tell you the story of next week, next Tuesday. So we're not quite finished with Beethoven yet. Um, uh, at, at a huge concert, which um, uh, premiered a number of his big works, including that piano concerto number four. But that concert would mark Beethoven's last appearance as a pianist in concert because of his increasing deafness. You know... This guy gave us such an amazing legacy of music, and if you've had a chance to listen to any of the tales and facts I've mentioned, and thank you for the so many WhatsApps I've had this morning about it. He was also, I mean, obviously a fascinating character, difficult in many ways, but so talented, so imaginative and inventive. But the story doesn't end with his death, as they say in those ads, but there's more. He died on March the 26th, 1827, after being very ill for a long time. His badly swollen abdomen had been drained by doctors three times in as many months. He died during an unusually violent late afternoon thunderstorm in Vienna. And there's an urban legend that in perfect sync with a flash of lightning and a clap of thunder, he raised himself up, shook his fist heavenward, and then fell back. Well, given his emaciated state, that seems unlikely. But at around 6 p.m., quarter to 6, aged 56, and exactly 49 years to the hour and the day that he'd first walked out to perform in public, Beethoven was gone. But now some more stories begin. First of all, an autopsy was done the next day, in which it was found that his liver was half the size it should have been. It was leathery and full of nodules, a clear sign of cirrhosis, which almost certainly killed him. Now, he'd been drinking a bottle of wine with every meal, and in his last days, probably to quell pain, had drunk vast quantities of alcoholic fruit punch. His other organs were also abnormal, and he had numerous kidney stones, which would have been agonizing. No wonder he was in so much pain. His temporal bones and auditory nerves were removed for analysis, and that left his face with a distorted, sunken look. His auditory nerves were found to be shriveled, and the auditory arteries were dilated and brittle. His death mask showed the marks of congenital syphilis, uh, congenital syphilis as well as smallpox, and his deafness was also attributed to a bad attack of typhus, which he'd suffered in earlier years. The day before his funeral, there was a steady stream of visitors to pay their respects, several cutting off a lock of his hair, and that leads to another tale a little later on this morning. On the 29th of March, so remember he died on the 26th, so his funeral was on the 29th, 20,000 people gathered for his funeral. Now that was a lot in those days, because people abandoned work and schools were closed. The crowd proved difficult to control, so soldiers were drafted in. Johann Nepomuk Hummel was a pallbearer, and little Franz Schubert and Karl Journey were, were torchbearers. Vienna had never seen such a funeral. I mean, how this contrasts with Mozart's funeral where nobody was in attendance. At one point, it took 90 minutes for the cortege to move just 500 meters. 
His burial was actually the first of three. So bear in mind, this is 1827 when Beethoven died. Then in 1863, his body, and also that of Franz Schubert, who'd been buried next to him, were exhumed. Their skeletons were cleaned, during which time Beethoven's skull was kept by a doctor on his bedside table for safekeeping before both bodies were reburied in lead coffins. And then in 1888, Viennese city authorities decided to close that cemetery, so Schubert and uh, Beethoven were dug up again and finally laid to rest in the Zentralfriedhof where they lie today in the musicians' section. You know, Beethoven could create such complex sounds, even from a few instruments when he felt it was warranted. But it's also sometimes uh, easy to forget his ability to be very delicate and gentle as well.
beautiful romance number two in F major by Ludwig van Beethoven, played exquisitely by Vanessa May on her violin. Wow, wow. Um, the Beethoven story is not over yet. There's still some more amazing stuff to tell you in just a moment, so please do stay close. As I said, <laughs> Classic 1027 on Beethoven's 250th birthday, the story doesn't quite end there. I mentioned that some mourners had cut off a lock of hair as a keepsake. One of them was a young musician named Ferdinand Hiller, who kept that lock of hair, and it was passed down through his family for over a century. During World War II, it landed in the hands of a doctor who gave aid to hundreds of Jews in Nazi-occupied Denmark, and from there, the lock of hair found its way to the United States. And in 1995, the glass locket containing Beethoven's hair was opened in Tucson, Arizona, and it was jointly owned by two men, a property developer named Ira Brilliant and a physician named, and I'm not kidding here, Che Guevara. Those really were their names. Now, although a lock of hair of Beethoven had previously been analyzed in the 1970s, there were now new DNA techniques and equipment available. Now, how the hair got from Beethoven's head to the hands of two men in the U.S. 170 years later is the subject of a fascinating book by Russell Martin, published in 2000. It's called Beethoven's Hair. If you can find it, read it, because it is quite enthralling. The essence of having his hair carefully and painstakingly analyzed over a three-year period between 1995 and 1998 by some very sophisticated equipment and by thorough scientists with impeccable reputations is that where there had been earlier suggestions that Beethoven's terrible ill health and deafness had been caused by typhus or syphilis, these were discounted. An autoimmune disease called sarcoidosis, which is closely related to TB, was also suggested, which could account for his many ailments, because in extreme cases it was thought to also cause deafness. Otosclerosis has also been suggested. It's an abnormal growth of honeycomb-like bone that develops in the inner ear. But the amazing finding from the analysis of Beethoven's hair in the late 1990s was that his hair contained 42 times more lead than average. Now, lead is quickly deposited in bone and then slowly released back into the body where it causes a host of terrible symptoms. Now, there would be many sources of lead in Beethoven's time. There was lead soldered water pipes through to cookware, drinking vessels and goblets and crockery because it was in the glazing. And lead was often added to wine to ease its bitterness and improve the flavor. Can you believe that? Beethoven drank a lot of wine, partly because water wasn't safe. Now, lead poisoning could easily account for his, in fact, all of his medical problems. And it's crucially been shown to cause clumsiness through partial paralysis of muscles and arms and legs. And remember I told you earlier, he had a clumsy gait towards the later part of his life. Other neurological symptoms caused by lead poisoning are visual disturbances and pain in the eyes. And Beethoven had a lot of eye problems and a progressive loss of hearing because of permanent damage both to optic and auditory nerves. Now remember his auditory nerves and blood vessels were shriveled and brittle and that could easily have been caused by the lead. Very interestingly, those research findings just prior to 2000 have recently been backed up by a group of otolaryngologists or ear, nose and throat specialists to you and me in Italy. 
This is just two years ago. In 2018, they saw a patient in their clinic in Padua whose symptoms matched Beethoven's. Like the composer, her hearing had started to decline and she complained of general weakness and lots of abdominal pain. In the case of the Italian patient, the cause of her problems were easily found. Her blood and urine both contained exceptionally high levels of lead. Because for years, this dear lady had been using an old pan, which had been steadily releasing lead into her food after the ceramic layer had worn off. Once she began treatment to remove the lead from her body, and she stopped using the old pan, of course, most of her symptoms improved, although her hearing loss was irreversible. So I think it's pretty safe at the moment to conclude that Beethoven's deafness, along with his many other ailments, was caused by lead poisoning. The amazing point to note, though, is that while Beethoven was in considerable pain for much of his life, he still managed to produce fantastic music.
there's almost no one <laughs> who quite punctuates the end is coming like Beethoven. <laughs> That's from his Symphony Number no. 5, of course, the mighty fourth movement uh, with Seiji Ozawa conducting the uh, Boston Symphony Orchestra. Wrapping up the Classic Breakfast, the special uh, birthday edition for Beethoven this morning. One thing I would point you to if you're interested in learning more about Beethoven, and clearly from this string of WhatsApps I've had today, thank you so much. Yes, I put a lot of work in. I had six books open around my office about Beethoven uh, getting information because he's such an awesome guy uh, and I've just tried to encapsulate some of that information uh, because as I say whole books have been written about his life but there is a new one you might like to go and look up at your favorite decent bookstore it's called Beethoven a life in nine pieces I came across it just yesterday it was only published this year it's by Laura Tunbridge Beethoven, A Life in Nine Pieces. She looks at nine compositions of his and then relates those to aspects of his life. And it's it's very well written uh, by the looks of things. And there are good reviews of it um, in the international press. So uh, you might like to go and look for that if you are interested in learning more about Beethoven.